Well, hello again, everyone. This is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming, as always, the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my humble studio beneath the sky, tucked away under the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this podcast is posting on Thursday, December the 21st, 2023. Christmas is right around the corner, and we have a a fascinating guest today, a dear friend who's meant the world to me. Uh, many of you probably know him from Prophecy Watchers. He's the founder and chief operating officer of Prophecy Watchers, along with Gary Stearman. Just a, an incredible heart and incredible story, as you're about to find out. A, a life of miracles, really, as God's grace has been uh, just shining through all through uh, his life. And uh, first time we actually met, it was an exercise in grace, because uh, he came up to us at a uh, conference we were speaking at, said hello to me at the Not By Works table. Me and my ignorance uh, didn't have a clue who he was, and and before long I realized I was in the presence of, uh, of, of a VIP, so to speak, in the, in the prophecy world, but he was so kind and so gracious, and we've had the a chance to interact many times uh, since that uh, uh, providential day. But uh, before I bring Bob on, just a couple of quick uh, uh, announcements here. Uh, as always, you can check us out at notbyworks.org. I know it's probably too late uh, to pick up any resources for Christmas, but we do have all of our books available on Kindle, and uh, we do have some expedited shipping options as well. But our goal is simply to get the gospel out. And lately, through my last three books, we've been uh, simultaneously trying to awaken the body of Christ to the reality of the Luciferian conspiracy, while at the same time presenting the gospel clearly to those who uh, might be interested interested in some of those topics as we all see the world unraveling around us and yet may not know the Lord. And so the books make a great resource for both believers and unbelievers alike. Of course, at our website, we've got tons of free material. You can click on the online store and then click the free section where we've got uh, dozens of resources available that uh, no credit card needed. Just uh, put them in your cart and we'll send them uh, right to you uh, digitally. So uh, check that out while you're there. But uh, Without further ado, uh, Bob Ulrich, as I mentioned, has become a, a good friend. He really has meant the world to me and my wife, Wendy. And I just wanted to bring him on today as we think about the greatest gift of all, you know, what the Apostle Paul described as an indescribable gift, uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I know you'll be blessed as he talks about uh, with such sincerity the way the Lord has really worked in his life. So, Bob, thanks so much. I know you're one of the busiest guys on the planet. Thanks for joining us. Uh, that would be an understatement. I, I appreciate the uh, the glowing uh, the glowing words. Uh, I prefer to refer to myself as a guy with a lot of books on his desk. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, I guess people send you send you books saying, "Hey, uh, check this out." Uh, you get a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. You have no idea. I, I have a shed at my home, and it's filled with probably a hundred cases of books that I've been shipped over the years that I just have no place to go with. And uh, all I can say is Gary Stearman's house is even worse <laughs> in his library, which is literally wall to wall to wall. Uh, he's got books piled 20 high on the floor, no room left in the bookcases. So that's been a big part of my life for the last uh, 35 years or so uh, since the Lord got a hold of me in the late 1980s. And that uh, really kind of changed my focus on life. Well, I want to hear about that. So uh, prophecywatchers.com, for those who may not know, and I suspect all of our listeners are very familiar with Prophecy Watchers Ministry, um, the conferences, and we'll let you at the end of the program maybe promote uh, some of those upcoming conferences. But uh, but yeah, go, take us back to the beginning of your faith journey and kind of, uh, you know, obviously, you know, whatever the Lord puts on your heart, but I always love hearing people's testimonies. So fire away. Well, my journey began, I got saved at an early age. You know, I grew up in one of those uh, frozen chosen households. I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, evangelistic crusades, you know, uh, training hours, Sunday school. I mean, you name it, you know, the doors were open. Uh, I was there. My mom and dad were both uh, faithful Christians. Uh, my dad was a deacon in pretty much every, every church uh, we attended. And uh, I went off to uh, Cedarville College, you know, when I was 18, and uh, I'm the, the classic uh, college dropout. Hmm. Uh, I was there to work on my behind-the-back dribble and my no-look passes, <laughs> and uh, I actually became the uh, the 1977 Cedarville College one-on-one -on -one champion. 
Wow. So basketball was my life. Uh, baseball was important to me. Um, I can't really say I really didn't belong in college at 18. I was very immature uh, from the standpoint of um, really grasping why I was there and what I was supposed to be learning. Uh, when the gym opened, that was the highlight of the day for me. And uh, dropped out after my junior year and I went to work at, actually for Hostess Cake. And I was a delivery driver. This is what my Christian education qualified me for. In Camden, New Jersey, uh, <laughs> voted the worst city in America many, many years running by USA Today. Uh, I was uh, robbed at gunpoint four times down there. I was kidnapped uh, at gunpoint. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard that story, but <laughs> I can remember laying on the back floor of this hostess cake truck with a shotgun on the back of my neck and praying like I'd never prayed before, hoping my mom and dad were praying for me at the same time because uh, one of the uh, two uh, gentlemen who, who abducted me uh, one of them went into the apartment complex they forced me to drive to and to get a stick of dynamite to actually blow the safe out of my truck. Whoa. And uh, as I lay there on the floor praying, you know, it's the old, uh, you know, Jeremiah 29 passage for I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And mm -hmm. I'm laughing as I quote the verse because I didn't know it back then. But just thinking back on what that experience was like, uh, praying on on that cold aluminum floor, and then all of a sudden hearing the patter of footsteps across the truck, and then it got very silent. And suddenly I realized I was all alone, and these two gentlemen were gone. Mm. Uh, you've never seen a hostess cake truck with a governor on it move that fast out of <laughs> Camp New Jersey in your life. <laughs> finally, finally, I wised up and realized that, you know, there's there's a different life waiting for me out there. And that different life came uh, playing on the church softball team. Hmm. Uh, the shortstop on the team was a very, very brilliant young man. And my dad was a real estate broker. And uh, this uh, shortstop came to me one day and, and asked me if my dad could help him raise some money to buy a very, very undervalued piece of property. Uh, he needed a quarter of a million dollars and he needed it by Monday. This was like a Thursday night. Well, my dad contacted a couple of people, and before you know it, he had raised the money, and we bought this property uh, for $250,000 that was probably worth a million dollars the day we bought it, mm. uh, at least so we thought, you know, back then, <laughs> and uh, my focus in life changed from baseball and basketball to making money, because now all of a sudden I had the realization that, wow, this is how real estate development works, I can do this. And of course, my dad had a background in real estate and he had connections. And uh, my dad and I and this uh, this other gentleman from my softball team started a land development company. And with a short within a short period of time, we had taken that one property and began to develop other properties. And pretty soon we literally were making millions and millions of dollars. Uh, we added a fourth partner, which was my partner's father who was an investment banker with Goldman Sachs in New York City. And uh, I know this will make you laugh, but the next thing you know, I had a limousine, I had a driver, I had a mansion, I had a Mercedes Benz, I had a Corvette convertible. I mean, I was I had never made that kind of money in my life. And my focus kind of shifted away from spiritual things, uh, mm. not that they were that important to me at that time, but I was still a believer and you know, still trust in the Lord. And, and obviously I was still saved, but, um, and, but my focus was very different. Hmm. Um, one Sunday morning in church, the pastor preached a message on Colossians 1.18 that talked about uh, that in Christ, all things, you know, he takes the preeminence. Hmm. And he asked a question that I've never forgotten to this day. The question was, is Jesus the most important thing in your life? Hmm. Or do you just have them up on a shelf somewhere and you pull them down when you have a problem, you know, or somebody gets sick or you need, you know, a desperate attempt to, you know, change your lot in life. And, and I had to acknowledge that day that he wasn't mm. uh, money was more important. You know, building a business was more important. Um, and I walked the aisle that Sunday morning and, and you got to understand at that time, I'm like a paper millionaire. You know, I have a beautiful wife and a new son. I'm living in a in a mansion. I'm, you know, I have everything the world can offer. 
but I knew there was something missing in my heart. I knew there was something hollow in my life, something that, uh, you know, just kind of lay there dormant. And from time to time, I would think about it. And around that time, the Gulf War started. Hmm. And when the war in the Gulf started, um, I can remember uh, Charles Dyer's book with the picture of Saddam Hussein on the front cover. And it really kind of lit a fire under me prophetically. And I began to read one prophecy book after another. And it became an overwhelming uh, obsession. Uh, my mom had been a, a huge follower of, of prophecy ministries for years. Uh, every morning on the way to school, she would have the local uh, Camden, New Jersey radio station on. Uh, my murder was not reported on there, but it, it was something that I grew up listening to J.R. Church, listening to Noah Hutchings, listening to all the, the speakers back then in the, in the 80s who were just became a part of my life and where I began to, the seeds were planted and mm -hmm. I began to get more and more curious about prophecy. But when the Gulf War hit, I became really obsessive about it. Uh, this is when I met J.R. Church and Gary Stearman. I went into a Christian bookstore in Voorhees, New Jersey, and picked up a copy of a cassette tape set called Iraq Attack that J.R. and Gary had produced. And I listened to that and a fire started within me where I started realizing prophecy is real. I mean, I'm, I'm not a young man anymore. Well, I began to, to, um, to really lose interest in the world of prophecy. I'm sorry, in the world of real estate. And I began to get more and more obsessed about the times of the signs. Mm -hmm. And I began to read one book after another. And uh, which probably didn't make my partners happy because, you know, I began to witness to our secretary and talk about the rapture of the church and things that weren't really a part of their life at the time. And uh, it's really funny. After I walked the aisle, all the great things that had happened to our com company financially started going south. I mean, it's just like, is this really happening? Um, environmental protests, uh, traffic traffic protests, zoning problems, water and sewer connectivity issues, everything that goes into the risky side of real estate and all the things that had gone so well and made the company millions of dollars in a short period of time suddenly started going bad. Mm. And I started to realize that the closer I get to the Lord, my bank account is getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> How does this work? I mean, this is not the way it's supposed to work. I mean, the Lord's supposed to reward me for being interested in witnessing to lost people. And, uh, you know, years later, you know, I could look back on it and realize that in order to break me, God had to take everything away from me. Mm. And so I had moved to Colorado Springs. Um, my partner and I were developing actually the, the property in Colorado Springs that, um, focus on the family sits on today, huh. uh, the infamous Banning Lewis Ranch. And I had moved out there as a front man. I had taken a lot of the office furniture from the company with me, and we were going to build this enormous real estate development out there. And without going into laborious detail, you know, God threw a monkey wrench into the plan. And so I'm out there in this little temporary office in Colorado Springs, and, and I'll never forget this. Uh, I got a phone call from my father telling me that uh, my partner was forging my name on checks. And uh, we protested a little too loudly about some of the internal things that were going on. And within a day or two, I got a fax uh, basically saying, here's a buyout agreement. Uh, we don't want to continue forward in our partnership anymore. Uh, sign this document and we'll give you $10 million. Hmm. Well, it seemed kind of like a pretty easy decision at the time. Uh, $10 million was a great lure, of course, but the thought that I could actually do what I really wanted to do in my life and study prophecy, you know, became, you know, super important to me. Mm. And, you know, who wants to, you know, be in bed with a partner who's dishonest? Mm. Uh, both of my partners, by the way, are, are both long dead. They died of very painful diseases. Um, I took the other fork in the road. So I'm literally sitting in my house and I've got this buyout agreement in front of me. And, and I talked to my dad. My dad got the same $10 million offer. Hmm. Uh, the company was going public. We were on the verge of mining for bauxite in Mexico. We were trading oil with the Nigerian government. 
we're developing a golf course and resort down in North Carolina with the golfer, uh, Hale Irwin. Hmm. And we had everything going for us. We had a public offering in play. And uh, the old expression, loose lips sink ships, hmm. uh, became paramount to us, paramount to us. So we signed the agreements. And the first thing I did is I sat down and I wrote a letter to J.R. Church from Prophecy in the News. And I told him that my lifelong dream had come true, that I wanted to come work for him in Oklahoma City. Well, we were living in Colorado Springs at the time. We had this beautiful view of Pikes Peak off the deck, off the back of the rented property we were living in. And, uh, but it wasn't home. And I didn't have anything to do at that point. I just only cared about studying prophecy. Well, about a week later, my wife came running into the family room and she handed me the phone and she said, it's J.R. Church on the phone. And like my heart just like sunk in my stomach. Like this is somebody who is like a legend to me. Um, you know, his ministry was so unique and unusual. And the things that he and Gary Stearman started together were just amazing and new and, and just things you would never hear in church, certainly, but, you know, things you would never hear anywhere. I mean, both brilliant, brilliant Bible teachers. And uh, long story short, he he offered me a job, uh, which kind of shocked me. And then I said, do you need me to move to Oklahoma? And he said, well, if you want to. So I told my wife we were, we were moving. <laughs> and we love Colorado. Obviously, as you know, it's a beautiful place. It's still one of my favorite places. Uh, but we... Uh, we were in between financials, between the public offering and survival. And it's a long story, but we didn't have the money to get to Oklahoma City. I did have still have a Mercedes Benz. He was leased, but it's only paper money. You know, it's just a car you drive. And so we had to figure out how to get to Oklahoma City. So we had a garage sale. And this is back in the days before Craigslist, back in the days before Facebook Marketplace, uh, back where you actually had to run classified ads in the newspaper. So we put a little ad in the Colorado Springs Gazette uh, that we were having a garage sale and we had some office furniture. And this was all the furniture that I brought from the former business uh, that basically was given to my father and I in, in a settlement when we divided up whatever assets we had at that point. And uh, so I drug all of this heavy, expensive office furniture out into the driveway. And this was how we were going to get to Oklahoma City. Well, it was a Saturday. And um, this furniture, trust me, was very heavy. I had love seats and credenzas and bookcases and chairs and everything imaginable. And, and I pulled it all out in the driveway. And as the day went by, we didn't sell a lick of it. We sold some kids' clothes. And I think we had about 60 bucks that we made, which wasn't enough to rent the U-Haul wasn't enough for gas, wasn't enough for a hotel room. And by the time we got to Oklahoma City, you know, we knew we weren't going to have any money. So things are getting more complicated here. So it's dusk now and it's getting dark out. And I, my wife said, well, what are we going to do? We, we don't have enough money to get there. And I was too proud to ask anybody for a loan. And I just said, we're going to have to do this tomorrow and the next day. Our lease runs out in seven days and we have to move one way or another. Well, I start dragging the furniture back uh, into the garage and it's, it's dusk at this point and the furniture was even heavier moving it back than it was taking it out there. When all of a sudden a white van pulls up in front of the house and this little rotund Mexican guy gets out of the van and he walks up to me and he looks at me and he says, uh, are you selling that furniture? I said, well, I'm trying. And he said, well, how much do you want for it? I said, well, which piece are you looking at? He said, well, all of it. <laughs> and I took a deep breath and I said, well, I said, I'd, I'd like to get $1,300 for it. It was probably about $15,000 worth of furniture originally. And he just looked at me incredulously and he said, $1,300. And I'm thinking to myself, I should have said a thousand. I should have said a thousand. I can get to Oklahoma City for a thousand. And he just smiled and looked at me. He says, wow. He says, that's a great deal. <laughs> Pulls out a wad of $100 bills in this old, decrepit white van. And he hands me $1,300. And then he looks at me and he says, you think you could help me load that in the van? I just smiled and said, yes, I can. <laughs> and uh, I, I still believe that was an, an angelic Mexican. 
Yeah. You know, who the Lord sent specifically because, and like everything else, he waits till the last minute before he answers our prayers. And we were just literally filled with tears. There's no other way to put it. It was like, God is listening. He's paying attention. Wow. Let, so, me, let me interject real quick, just because so many things I've been taking notes. It's so riveting to listen <laughs> to you. I've been, I've been literally taking notes, but a couple of just side comments before you continue, because believe me, folks, uh, I've heard some of the rest of this and it's, it's amazing that this, this life of miracles. But first of all, I just want to comment that one of the, the things that I think we have a kindred spirit about is like you, my dad has been a, a tremendous uh, supporter and encouragement and advisor and counselor in my life. And, uh, is your dad still living? My dad passed away suddenly about 10 years ago. Okay. He was a great encourager. Yeah. And uh, he and I worked side by side with several businesses and companies over the years. Well, that's, uh, yeah, my uh, my dad's still living, still one of my biggest fans. And and first call that I make when I need counsel and advice, uh, both my parents are still living. Uh, but we can relate because Wendy's dad died suddenly of an accident about 14 years ago. So we, we can understand that that sense of loss. But I also wanted to comment that I didn't, I, I don't know if I knew this or not, but you, you mentioned Banning Lewis Ranch. Well, where our Not By Works uh, offices are is not far from there at all. In fact, my granddaughter played uh, soccer at one of the fields in Banning Lewis. So uh, yes, I'm very yeah. familiar with the development these days. <laughs> I bet you are. I bet you are. And then uh, I, I also did not realize, and I have no idea how I missed this. I know you're a big sports fan. We've talked a lot of baseball and Yankees and stuff like that, because I grew up in the Northeast as well. But I didn't realize you you were, were, were quite the athlete. So it sounds like you went from being a dunker to a flipper, you know, and got, got into real estate that way or something. I don't know if, if that's the right way to put it, but uh, well, if, it, if it matters, I, I could dunk a basketball when I was 16 years old and I had a prototypal accident when I was 19 and I lost a lot of my vertical jump, but yeah, basketball wow. was a big part of my life. That's amazing. You know, that's another thing we have in common because you could dunk a basketball at 16. I could almost touch the net at 16. So <laughs> there you go. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, that's that's amazing. Um, and then I just, just, I guess, wanted to mention um, that, you know, you're talking about the the inverse relationship between what many would 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 assume as worldly, you know, success and and happiness and and blessing, and yet you know when you got right with the Lord and really started focusing on spiritual matters, it seems like those kind of things went away. And that just reminds me of Paul's words in Second Corinthians twelve, where people I know are familiar with the passage, but he gets caught up to the third heaven. He's pleading with the Lord to remove the the thorn of the flesh. But the part that that came to my mind was when he said, "In the end, when I am weak." then I am strong. So you were strong in the Lord and your connection to the Lord and that ultimately led to where you are today, which is amazing, blessing so many people through your leadership and involvement with Prophecy Watchers and, you know, blessing uh, ministries like Not By Works and so many others. But yet it came through a period or a season, if you will, of weakness. Am I right? Well, my first week at Prophecy in the News, I really felt like I was Columbus discovering the new world. I walked into the library surrounded by prophecy books. And then I realized I don't have to pay for these anymore. And I began taking three, four or five books home every night, pouring through stuff that I could never afford or didn't even know about. And um, Gary Stearman uh, heard my story. Um, I had actually had gone out to Oklahoma City to visit with J.R. and Gary on a couple of occasions over the years. Uh, just a big fan and supporter of the ministry. And uh Gary heard my story and he looked at me and he says, well, Bob, in that grandfatherly voice says, you know, God cannot greatly use a man until he has broken him first. Wow. I look back on it. And I think to myself, you know, God had to take everything away from me. And this is sad to say, but, you know, when you have a lot of money and you have a lot of possessions, you know, the Bible says it's hard for a rich man to get to heaven. The Lord had to take all those things away from me and leave me with nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, nothing in order to change the course of my life. And, and I look back on it very humbly and sometimes a little embarrassed uh, that it took such, um, you know, such a tragic event and such, such a, a failure to get me where he wanted me to be. Yeah. And, and, and it was just to underscore that it was very sudden. I mean, that when they reneged on that, that fax promise that they sent to you and your dad, I mean, that was, that was like overnight, all of a sudden you went from, 
you know, the, your dreams come true, so to speak, because now you could you could leave the business side behind and go focus on prophecy to being des- destitute almost, right? But we, le- we left behind the story that I, I never did get the $10 million uh, eight hours before uh, before the uh, public offering was supposed to be be actually physically transferred. Uh, someone called the broker and there's something called the blue sky laws that has to deal with a public offering and word cannot leak out in advance. And someone leaked out the word of what we were doing and the broker got wind of it and they scrapped the whole public offering, Mm. threatened to sue us, which they never did. Fortunately, we had to issue a written apology to everyone. You know, it's just, it was, it was a tragic ending. I got the call at like five minutes after midnight from my partner telling me the whole offering had gone kaput and there wasn't any money. And I was now a full-time employee of Prophecy in the News, not a volunteer like I actually moved out there to be. Hmm. So I pull up to Prophecy in the News in my U-Haul and uh, I have less than $200 to my name. Hmm. It's embarrassing to say that from where I came from, but I had no idea where I was going to live. No idea. I'm in Oklahoma City. My wife cried when we crossed the border from Colorado. It's like, are we really moving to Oklahoma? And why are you crying? This is my dream. And she said, well, I'm not upset about moving to Oklahoma, but I can remember as a little girl watching the movie Oklahoma and just asking the Lord if one day he would move me to Oklahoma so I could ride horses across the plains. (laughs) And it's kind of a funny story. But, you know, when we got here, we were kind of like a fish out of water. I went from the New Jersey shore to the mountains of Pikes Peak to the flatlands of Oklahoma City. Uh, that was 30 years ago, you know, and uh, I look back on it as just an unbelievable blessing. Uh, he couldn't have put my wife and I and my family in a better place. So as I pull up in the U-Haul, there's a building on my left and a building on my right where, where Prophecy and the News own both of the buildings. And I literally pull up in this big U-Haul with whatever I had left in life. And who comes walking out the door but J.R. Church? He comes bounding from one building to the next. And he sees me pull up and he, you know, he comes on, shakes my hand and greets me. And and we have some small talk. And he says, you have any idea where you're going to be living? Well, I have $200, maybe less than that. I don't remember now, but it wasn't a lot. And how do you get a house without a security deposit? You know, how do you pay the first month's rent without any money? And uh, so I said to him, well, I really don't know the area very well. I don't know where we'll be living. And I was embarrassed to tell my new boss that I'm I'm broke. You know, I had I had given a lot of money to the ministry in the past. Well, now I don't have that money to give. Mm -hmm. And so he looks at me and he says, well, you know, my twin brother, Terry, owns some houses down in Moore, Oklahoma. And believe it or not, last night in the middle of the night, uh, he had a pastor as a tenant and he got three or four months behind on his rent. And uh, he just decided to move out. So if you want, you can just move right in and don't worry about the rent. We'll take care of it. Whoa. Talk about a life of miracles. <laughs> yeah. And so we we lived in Moore, Oklahoma for about 18 months. And uh, then eventually we moved up to, to Edmond, where we live today and where we've been for the last 28 and a half years. And I, I just look at it as, as just the hand of God orchestrating even the smallest, minutest detail of your life when you do his will and when you realize that i'm not in control of my own life no matter how much money you have in the bank you're not in control everybody's got something whether it's financial problems health problems family problems i mean this is the course of life that we all deal with yeah i mean from that fateful conversation in the parking lot as you pulled into prophecy in the news if you were to go back even six weeks to where you were in your life could you have predicted six weeks earlier that that's where you would find yourself and the circumstances? Not, not in a million years. And in fact, my mother, uh, who passed away here Thanksgiving two years ago, she used to say to me, uh, your father and I wondered if you'd ever get your life straightened out. And uh, <laughs> says, it's just amazing what the Lord has done in your life. And and, and says, we're just in awe and shock at, at how he's blessed you and, and put you in a place where, you know, you're doing what you love and, and, Usually I would have a curtain here in front of me because I always refer to myself as the man behind the curtain, yeah, pulling the levers and and making the plans and biting off more than he can chew. 
And uh, that's that's the mind God gave me and, and the passion he gave me for what I do. I, I just love my job. Well, and, uh, you know, for some folks who may not know who, but who followed Prophecy Watchers for a while, you're not just the man behind the curtain. I've been with Bob when he rolls up his sleeves and he's loading trucks and unloading trucks and moving stuff around a warehouse. And 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 he's got a brilliant business mind, obviously. And that's why he's, by God's grace, helped uh, between he and Gary grow this uh, this ministry. But he's a worker. I mean, this is this is a guy who just loves the Lord enough to do uh, to do whatever it takes. And uh so yeah, I mean it's uh, when I think about where where you've been, and uh, I just I can't help but think of of the the, the term miracle. I mean it really is uh, God always is one step ahead. We we would love to have the the ability to write our own script, but something tells me if we could all write our own script, it would end horribly. And it's much better to let the Lord order our steps, as the Word of God says, even though we plan the way. And uh, and so so talk to us about some of the things that you've seen um, in, in since you've been with Prophecy Watchers and and uh, you know kind of how that came about. And I know there's one incredible story that uh, you always tear up when you tell, but that's uh, I'd love for you to tell that story as well. Yeah, you know when when I got to Prophecy in the news, it was September fifth, nineteen ninety three, eight days before the Oslo Accords were signed. Hmm. Well. I'm thinking the rapture is about to happen and I'm going to have the shortest executive career in history. And here I am 30 years later, still looking for the Lord. And we were so dirt poor at that time, but honestly, we, we, one of the happiest times of our life uh, because I was doing something that I was passionate about. My wife began working at the ministry. Um, you know, we, we felt it was a place God called us to make a difference and God even saw to it that he would give us a vacation once a year because we had no money to travel anywhere. But every year we would go down to the uh, God's News Behind the News conference uh, down in uh, Tampa, Florida. And uh, I met Joe, Joe Vancouvering and Hal Lindsey and Jack Van Impey and Grant Jeffrey and Don Perkins and Yako Franzel and Perry Stone and Peter Lalonde and all these old names of all these old prophecy teachers and I'm like a kid in a candy store. I mean, I'm shaking hands with Jack Van Impey. Are you kidding me? I mean, how Lindsay knows my name? Are you serious? So it literally, it was just, it was, it was just a dream come true for, and, and you can understand it because, you know, you're one of the guys that people walk up to and shake your hand and tell you how important they are and you are to them. Mm. And uh, I was just like a groupie, you know, back then. I mean, meeting Grant Jeffrey, he was like my idol. He's like the greatest prophetic writer in history. And so we went down to, a, we would go down and drive the ministry van down to Florida every year. And we would go down, usually we would stay for a day or two after the conference ended. And it was our vacation. We were in Florida, we would take the kids to the beach. But this last year, in the year 2000, we uh, we decided to go down a couple days early and take the kids to the beach and get a suntan before the conference, which we had never done before. And uh, we got down to Florida and uh, we were just leaving our hotel in Clearwater uh, early in the morning and we were taking the two kids to the beach. And my cell phone rang and it was the principal of my son's school. And he proceeded to tell me that my house had burned down. Mm. So, you know, I'm stopping at this point. I'm thinking I'm, I'm serving the Lord every day. I don't have any money. I'm, I'm working for peanuts but I love what I'm doing, but it would be nice to get a break and to actually have a little bit of other enjoyment for the family. Mm. And now you've burned my house down. I had no renter's insurance. I couldn't afford $10 a month. Mm. And, uh, but that was the initial human reaction. And mm. then my wife quickly jumped into the mix and said, well, let's thank the Lord that none of us were home. I found out later the fire started after midnight in my daughter's bedroom, an electrical outlet. It was an older house that we were renting. And uh, if we had stayed there or left at a normal time like we normally would, uh, my, both my girls would be dead. Wow. Uh, they're both heavy sleepers. They never would have woke up. Uh, the fire started near the only door near the entrance. Mm. Uh, they never would have got out of the room alive. Mm. And so here we are down in Florida and we're at a conference and we have now literally lost everything. Mm. I mean, everything. We had our car uh, that we drove down along with the van and the clothes on our back with everything is now gone. Washer, dryer, refrigerator, 
you know, an old piano that my wife's family had given us. We didn't have anything, you know, particularly valuable, but when you lose everything, and I know there are people watching this who've gone through that mm -hmm. and you realize, because I've heard from so many of them. So we had nothing to go to home, home to. It was February or March. It was freezing back in Oklahoma and we were down in Tampa. So we just stayed for the conference. <laughs> and um, Joe Vancouvering, who passed away last year, uh, was was uh, incredibly kind to us. They actually took an offering for us at the conference and sent us home with eleven thousand dollars. Wow. Well, at that point in time, it was like a million dollars to us. Mm. Um, it was, and then you start realizing, well, I need a couch and I need a TV and I need this and I need a mattress and the money goes really fast. But then people back in Oklahoma started donating to us. Our old church, our new church. A uh, lady who had a trust fund gave us several thousand dollars mm. uh, just to help us recover. And so we stayed at the conference. Uh, we came home to nothing. We had to find another place to live. Uh, God opened the door for us to move into a, a, an even a nicer home than we had, which mm. was a little townhouse right on a lake, um, and which was another miracle. But here's the best story, and this is probably the story you're talking about. When we came home, it was freezing, bitter, rainy, drizzly, freezing ice, cold. Whatever the fire didn't destroy in the house, the firemen did. Uh, it was filled with four inches of water. Um, the garage door was still standing, and we were able to get into the garage. But everything, for the most part, was water damaged, fire damaged. There was nothing virtually salvageable. But I did know that there were some boxes up in the attic that my wife had put away for the three children. And uh, I had just hoped that maybe everything up there hadn't burned. So the attic stairs were still able to be pulled down in the garage. They were crooked and kind of warped, but I pulled them down and I was able to start escalating up the steps. And uh, as I got up a little bit higher, I could see that there was a box sitting on the one floorboard in the entire attic that hadn't burned. There was no roof on the house, blue sky, you know, Nothing left up there except this one box. Well, I got up a little higher and I was able to grab the box. And it's one of those uh, manila envelope boxes. And I looked in, it's covered in soot. And I looked inside and it was all the memories from our wedding day mm. that God preserved. The invitations, the flowers that were on the table, you know, just pictures, you know, with, with the pastor and, and the, the wedding venue and I just thought to myself, how cool is this that God has saved the memories my wife and I made in 1983? Mm. So I climbed up another step higher. And as I reached up to grab the two by sixes that were framed around the outside of the garage pull down doors, something was sticking up, you know, out of the opening between the two by sixes and that one piece of plywood. And I remembered that, you know, my wife had three memory boxes for each of our three kids. Uh, one for Brad, one for Caitlin, one for Alyssa. And they were all, the reason I remember it is because we packed everything in these ridiculously heavy Steve Quayle boxes because his books are so heavy. And I figured well, these will last up, you know, last for everything except a fire. And then she would seal them up. So all their memories are in these boxes, pictures of their birth, pictures with the doctor who delivered them. They're sealed up with packing tape. Well, as I climb up those stairs, I, I recognize that there's something sticking up that doesn't belong there. I go up one step higher mm. and I look over to my right and I realize what I'm holding on to. Jammed into the only opening in the attic that didn't burn are three photo albums. One for Brad, one for Caitlin, and one for Alyssa. Mm. Taken out of those memory boxes that were sealed with tape. Someone took them out of those memory boxes and they jammed them into that gap side by side by side. Mm. Those sit in my garage today. They're not burned. They're soot on the top of them, you know, where they were exposed. Um, but every time I walk through the garage into the house, I see those three photo albums. And I think to myself, God protected the things that were most important to us, which were the memories. Mm. Well, I mean, protected, protected who, the family. yeah. Oh no, for, for sure. Who put them there? I mean, is it an angelic miracle you think? 
or was it just uh, through the years somebody <laughs> had gotten taken out of boxes and moved around and God saw the future? I mean, what? what how, big. How Come on. You know the answer to that question. <laughs> God put them there or he sent one of angels to do it. I have no doubt whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, to go from losing everything in a fire to realizing that God's hand was on this. So he moved us. He moved us out of that house into a better house. We were given seven televisions. We were given four sofas. We were given boxes and boxes of clothes, some of them from very wealthy people who had never taken the tags off the clothing. Uh, my wife had never dressed finer in her life. I mean, literally a woman from Dallas donated. Her husband was a lawyer and she had a closet full of clothes she never wore. And my wife is wearing like $200 dresses and, and we're looking at each other like, is this yeah, really, God, is this really what you want for us? And so we we can only look back on it as a turning point in our life uh, because from that point in time, God began to bless us and bless the family. Why did he do that? I can only tell you this. I think once you commit your life to service for the Lord, it's not just about money. I think he looks on the heart and he looks on your passion and he looks at how you look at him. And, and how he provides for you. And you become totally dependent on that relationship. And you realize how fragile life is. Mm. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, I wonder if uh, you ask those firefighters, uh, if they happen to spot any Mexican angels running around there before they, I mean, it could have been the same guy that bought your furniture. God, you know, God's, God's watching out for you, brother, the whole journey. And uh, we all could uh, we all could look back and, and need to, you know, there's a, there's a neat story in Genesis where at the end of his life, Joseph brings all of his great grandchildren and grandchildren, sits them on his knee and he's talking to them. And I, I've always felt like we need more conversations kind of like this one, but, but with the family, gather your family around and share with your children and grandchildren, the journey, because in the moment, sometimes we are acutely aware of God's amazing grace and, and so grateful and so thankful, but and, and we share that joy. You know, Proverbs says, a heart knows its own joy and a stranger does not share its bitterness. But we need to do our, our best to share these stories with others. And I hope our, our listeners are really sensing it. And by the way, our premier members, you can watch the video version of this interview and you can just see uh, just the, the look in Bob's eyes as he's recounting this and, and seeing the hand of Almighty God leading and directing I mean, do you ever stop and think about where your life might have gone had that business deal gone through and you'd continued down the path of real estate development? Well, I used to take a limousine into Wall Street you know, four days a week. I might have been at the bottom of the World Trade Center, which I've been in many, many times before the explosion. You know, from time to time, I, I think about it briefly. Uh, but honestly, I, I've I rarely have I really look back on it. I, I look forward to where God is taking us. Um, where he's brought me from, certainly, to go from a hostess cake delivery driver, um, you know, to being the guy with a lot of books on his desk and, and managing the Prophecy Watchers ministry. Uh, it's it's the biggest miracle of all. Well, and you've mentioned her several times, but of course, Chris, uh, praise God for our wives. Amen. You know, she, she got... She's right there with you through all the ups and the downs. And, and I don't know about you, but I suspect you feel the same way there. Usually in the low times when I'm, you know, prone to, to bitterness or anger or that that fleshly immediate reaction, it's okay. Wendy that comes along and has the spiritual perspective to say, hang on, let's look at this from a heavenly perspective and uh, and, and praise God for your wife, Chris. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you kind of, you know, have that same that same uh, knee-jerk reaction attitude that I do. You know, we all tend to over-dramatize things and, and have an initial, you know, reaction that isn't always accurate. You know, there's an old story uh, that I won't tell here today, but it's always about looking for that one missing fact mm. before you respond. Yes. And, uh, I've been guilty of that way too many times in my life, for sure. Oh, me and you both. And the Proverbs are so clear on that. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. You know, get the Amen. facts and uh, get the facts, brother. Well, listen, uh, as we close out here, uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you again. Uh, you know, we've only been connected to Prophecy Watchers for a couple of years now, but uh, I've just grown to love you guys. I'm grateful. Uh, you've helped uh, spread the word about NBW Ministries tremendously, along with other great uh, prophecy voices out there like Jan Markell, Lamb and Lion. And uh, like you, we kind of feel like 
we're a kid in a candy shop too. I had to laugh when you were talking about going to that conference in Florida, the first prophecy watchers conference I went to in Orlando last year. I was the same way. I was asking Wendy to take selfies while I shook hands with, you know, Billy Crone and, you know, Tom Hughes. And I'm like, I know it doesn't seem very professional, but like, man, these are my heroes. And so I, I couldn't agree more. You know, the, the greatest miracle of all really is the birth of Prophecy Watchers and, and what God started here nine years ago. Uh, if I look back in time on anything, I look back on that initial that initial launch. Um, you know, there were a lot of people questioning why the world needed another prophecy ministry. And, you know, the late J.R. Church had passed away three and a half years before and situations changed with the family at, at Prophecy in the News. And Gary and I, you know, had some really hard, difficult decisions to make. And we decided, uh, you know, that we uh, the Lord was leading us to, to start a new ministry hmm. and uh, where he's brought us from nine years to today. I uh, have a like a top secret announcement. Maybe your audience will be the first one to hear about it. Uh, but we have just launched uh, a nationwide radio program. Wow. And uh, Prophecy Watchers was just accepted on what used to be called the Calvary Radio Network. It's a CSN.com uh, network now. Uh, we're going to be aired beginning in January on 400 stations. Uh, heavy uh, listenership in, in California. Oregon, Washington State, Colorado, Montana, Idaho, tremendous West Coast coverage. We're going to be on 40 in uh, 43 of the 50 states, uh, which is just exciting to me. It's, it's Gary Stearman's dream to have a radio program. Um, people don't know this, but at one time, Gary had the number one AM radio, radio program here in Oklahoma City uh, with a bigger audience than Rush Limbaugh. Oh, wow. That so is Gary, amazing. He's been itching to start a radio program for years. It was never convenient. It was never practical. But we literally just got the word here last week that our program was accepted on the Calvary Network. And I can't uh, get ahead of the uh, get ahead of the game here. But there's another major radio network uh, that we're expecting to be uh, get approval on here very very soon. Hmm. So we're we're going to flood the airwaves with the news that Jesus is coming soon. Well, 2024 is going to be an unbelievable year. I just have that this sense that it's a pivotal year in God's plan of the ages. I know the the other side, the enemy, has been talking about with his human accomplices here, the Luciferians, for a hundred years now. The years 2025, 2026. So I just I have this sense that it's going to be more important than ever for the Word of God to get out. And I can't tell you how excited I am to hear uh, the news. I, I guess folks can stay in touch with you at prophecywatchers.com and look for announcements and hopefully find a local a broadcast station in their region to, to listen to uh, to Prophecy Watchers. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. It's and funny then, you say that. 2024, we just finished a, an announcement about our Orlando Prophecy Summit in fe on February 29th. And this was the theme of what we just talked about today. 2024 is going to be a year to remember. Wow. Unlike anything we've ever seen. I couldn't agree more. The election, the the Trump trials, and all the the, the circus surrounding that, the uh, the World Economic Forum, the World Government Summit. We've got so many things going on. So uh, the conference is upcoming. I know you just mentioned the one in Orlando. Is there are there still tickets available for that one? There are. We're we're still uh, still filling up the auditorium. We're expecting to have about eight hundred people this year. Had nine hundred last year, but it was too crowded, so we chopped down the audience potential this year. And uh, we're going to be in Orlando in February. We're going to be in Colorado Springs again in June. And have awesome. you been invited to that conference in Colorado? I think uh, on I haven't gotten an official email, but you have mentioned to me in conversations that I'm speaking. I'm I'm counting on. It. In fact, we've got some friends coming in to speak at my church that week because I I'm hoping to be tied up there in uh, Colorado Springs. I'll consider this your invitation, my friend. Praise God. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I'm really looking forward to uh, Orlando. You have not requested our our uh, session titles yet, but I'm already kind of stirring some ideas in my mind uh, and excited about it. So I've seen your past message titles and they are provocative. I can't yeah. wait. Yeah. yeah, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I can't wait either. And then uh, any other events that are already out there that folks can can sign up for or get more information on from the website? You know, you try not to get too far ahead of yourself, but yeah. uh, it, the Orlando conference is February 29th through March 3rd. Uh, the uh, Colorado Springs conference is June 27th through the 30th. We're actually not taking signups quite yet, but we will be soon. Uh, we have a cruise planned, our first ministry cruise planned to Alaska 
on August 5th of 2024. And we have just uh, literally, as of yesterday, I shouldn't even tell you this, but I will. But uh, as of yesterday, we just signed an agreement uh, to do a conference on December 5th through the 8th, 2024 in Branson, Christmas I, in Branson. I was hoping that would come together. That's uh, you you and I and Greg uh, talked about you were working on it. We've done a lot of ministry in Branson through the years and uh, folks uh, are going to be excited, I know, to, 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 to go to Branson. Great place. And uh, uh, yeah, that'll be awesome. So uh, we're going to be at the Chateau on the Lake in Branson, which is a beautiful five-star hotel and They've given us a, a wonderful low rate for the hotel rooms and one of the nicer places in town for sure. Yeah. And I've, I've had the privilege of speaking there a couple of times. It really is phenomenal. It's almost like a, a Ritz Carlton level type of, of yes. re, re, retreat. So especially we'll, around Christmas time. Yeah. Yeah. We'll look forward to more to come on those upcoming events. Uh, but folks can check out prophecywatchers.com and, uh, and uh, just really appreciate your time, Bob. I do know that you're very busy, but I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and Gary and Mondo and the whole gang there. Uh, and, uh, and just tell them hello for me and uh, any closing thoughts. Yeah, I appreciate you. I appreciate uh, the new angles and the new subjects you've added to the ministry, your new book on the false prophet. People, if you don't have it yet, you're going to want to get it. We actually are literally having not aired the interview we do with you on TV yet, but I think it's the next week or two we're going to be airing that interview on your book. So excited about uh, your contribution to Prophecy Watchers. You know, we're such a unique ministry where we provide a platform for other people in addition to our own materials. And we've literally launched many, many different ministries by opening up that platform, you know, to other authors to promote their material. And that's the way God really has blessed all of us. Yeah, he really has. And and like I said, I, I can remember back when I was commuting uh, to ministry, I would listen to, Pro to Gary on Prophecy Watchers, interviewing people like Billy Crone. And that's why it was so you know, inspiring for me to get to to meet them uh, last year in Orlando. So thank you again, and and uh, Merry Christmas to everybody. And folks, thanks for listening. Again, prophecywatchers.com is the website. Uh, notbyworks.org is our website. So uh, check it out, all the free resources there. And uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. God bless everyone.